Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March and craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free this is holly fry from stuff you missed in history class the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new suv like an adventure ready rav4 available with all-wheel drive your new rav4 is built for performance on any terrain or check out a stylish and comfortable highlander with seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with the whole family check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Let's go places. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to have quality chat with Cody Decker. Former MLB player, now does a terrific job over there at 670s. The score, he does a little bit of hosting over there, just with Odyssey in general. He does a lot of hosting. He's got a lot of podcasts that are beginning to roll out. He's going to be informing you of those at the end. He also does a lot with Circus Sports as well. So we're going to be talking to him about some of the games for today. We're also going to be looking at some of the playoff races, and we're going to be talking a little bit about if you wind up wagering on the National League Cy Young and National League Player of the Year race. Races, how you should go about that. So we're going to have a little bit of everything with Cody. Cody brings absolutely tremendous perspective. So looking forward to that. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. And a little something you like to call, touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you've got one or two ways, we all throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. 
And then from there, you're able to send in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into that comment section in which you rate five stars. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a tremendous day of baseball on Wednesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. A struggling Boston Red Sox team in dire need of a win because they had lost eight out of their last ten games. Well, they wind up putting up a 20-burger on the Tampa Bay Rays. 28-8 the final, and the only reason why the Rays got the 8 is because Phillips Valdez in the ninth inning wound up giving up 7 runs. That jacked up his ERA from like a 3-8 to a 5-5 as in that ninth inning. You wound up having Brett Phillips get his ninth home run of the season, and you wound up having Mike Zanino get his 22nd of the campaign. Brandon Lau, a little bit earlier in the game, would go deep for his 26th home run off of Nathan Eovaldi, who was terrific in this game. He gives up that solo shot overall in 7 innings, gives up 1 run, punches out 10. Yaxel Rios was able to give you a scoreless inning in then Valdez did Valdez things, but for the Boston Red Sox, they go, and I kid you not here, 12 of 24 with men scoring position, one home run in this one, Xander Bogarts, it's 17th of the season, that comes off of the backup catcher Francisco Mejia, as for the Tampa Bay Rays, Josh Fleming, his ERA is now like three points lower when they bring in an opener versus when he actually starts, because he just has not been good actually starting his games, three and a third innings, he gives up 10 runs, all of which were earned. From there, three and two-thirds innings were eaten by Diedrich Ennis, and he winds up giving up four runs, all of which were earned, and then Francisco Mejia comes in in the eighth inning, and he was rudely greeted to giving up six runs in an inning. He now has an ERA of a 27, so that was not necessarily terrific there, but that was good for the Boston Red Sox. This was also very good. How about Adam Wainwright at the young age of 39, throwing an 88-pitch shutout, 9-0 to the final. He was dominant in this one. Now, the Pittsburgh Pirates, their offense is not great, but gives up two hits. He was absolutely tremendous. And Adam Wainwright actually drove in one of his own runs. He was that good in this one. Cardinals go 3 of 10 with Madden scoring position. For Mr. William Crow, it wasn't a bad start. He gives up one run in four and two-thirds innings. Problem is, he needed to give up zero to have any sort of a shot to be able to help out his team. Nick Mears winds up getting it out of the bullpen. Cody Ponce comes out of the bullpen, and he has not been good for this team. Gives up three runs over the course of two innings. Jason Shreve, along with Anthony Bunda, both give you a scoreless inning, but for the Pittsburgh Pirates, just absolutely nothing going for them in this game. For the Chicago Cubs, absolutely nothing going against the Milwaukee Brewers. 10-0 the final. Corbin Burns struck out 10 straight batters. That ties a record for most consecutive strikeouts in a game. That ties Tom Seaver along with Aaron Supernola for that. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, they just wanted putting this game out of reach very early. They put up a touchdown plus the extra point in the first inning. None of those were home runs, by the way. They just... Did a good job with men in scoring position 6 of 14 with that Omir Nervais in the ninth inning. Would add a home run off of Cody Hoyer for his 11th home run season. And for Jake Arrieta, another terrible start. He gives up eight runs over the course of four innings. And for Jake Arrieta, he has now given up at least four runs and now five out of his last six starts. All losses. And the team that he's faced has scored at least six runs in five out of his last six starts. I mean, it is just going badly from Michael Rucker was able to give the team three scoreless settings out of the bullpen to lower his ERA to a 559. Rex Brothers, no O Brothers for him in this one, a scoreless setting, but then Cody Hoyer, he winds up giving up two runs in an inning. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, you just had Corbin Burns stealing. Eight scoreless settings, 15 strikeouts. Hobie Milner comes in for the final inning, and the Milwaukee Brewers just continue to be white hot. I believe that they now have the second best record in the big leagues since the beginning of the month of June. So this is a team that they could be able to make a run in October. 
the Mets are hoping to be a team that can make a run in October, and they need to be able to get back atop the National League East, and they were able to pull one out of the fire thanks to them being able to rally against the Washington Nationals. They get this 8-7 win thanks to being able to put up a run in the 7th inning and then 2 in the 8th. This was the suspended game because the actual game that they were supposed to be playing, that wound up getting rained out. So we're getting a twin bill for Thursday for the Washington Nationals. Juan Soto in that first inning winds up going deep off of one Carlos Carrasco, his 19th home run of the season. Paulo Espino and Mr. Carrasco both wound up pitching an inning. Two same as Carrasco winds up giving up four runs in an inning. You wind up having Espino give up one run in an inning. And then Rich Hill, who was supposed to start the game that was originally slated for Wednesday, gives up three runs in three innings, but then the bullpen went to work and did their job. Drusich Familia, Miguel Castro, Drew Smith, Trevor May, Edwin Diaz, all give you scoreless innings. And for the Mets, no home runs in this one, but they do go 4 of 12 with men in scoring position for the Washington Nationals. Joe Ross wanted pretty much picking up this game with Four runs to give it up over the course of five innings. From there, Mason Thompson gives up two runs, one of which was earned. He was hurt by the fact that there wound up being three errors out there in the field. One of those was his own throwing error, so there was that. And Gabe Klobastis winds up giving up a run in an inning. So, an absolute calamity there. The Minnesota Twins, they wind up shutting down the Chicago White Sox by a count of 1-0. to zero. A little bit of a strange game for the White Sox as Lance Lynn was supposed to start this one. Instead, he'll be starting the Field of Dreams game for the Thursday, but... Rinaldo Lopez, a opener du jour, I guess you could say. Three scoreless innings in this one. Garrett Crochet gives you two scoreless innings. Jose Ruiz winds up giving up a home run to Mr. Ode Palanco, his 21st home run of the season. Palanco also wound up getting a triple in this game, so he came close to a cycle. And then Mason Foster, Craig Kimbrell both come in for a scoreless inning. But for the White Sox, they wind up stranding eight men on base. They got six hits. They couldn't do anything with them. Bailey Ober, his best start of the year. Five and a third inning, scoreless. Caleb Theobar, Wamanaya both come in for four outside the bullpen. And Alex Kalame winds up giving you a save. So the Minnesota Twins all of a sudden actually playing some relatively respectful baseball after it was a really rough run for them as this is a team that they have now been able to win Five out of their last seven games against the Houston Astros and the Chicago White Sox. So the arrow is trending upward there. The arrow has not been trending upward all year long for the Colorado Rockies on the road. And they wind up losing by a count of 5-1 to one to the Houston Astros. Taylor Motter, by the way, is getting starts in the major leagues once again. He went 0-3. for 3. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. And Antonio Sensatella gives up three runs over the course of six innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Astros as a collective go 3-16 of 16 with Ben in scoring position. So this actually could have been worse. They wind up leaving 10 men on base, but Framber Valdez was just able to shut down the Colorado Rockies. One run given up over the course of six innings. Ryan Stanek, Kendall Grayman, Ryan Presley all come in for a scoreless inning. And for the Colorado Rockies, two runs were given up out of the bullpen by Ulysse Chassin in his inning. And then Tyler Kinley gives you a scoreless inning. The Rockies are now 7-9 and nine in their last 16 row games. Better than how they started. 6-33 and 33 was how they wanted faring in their first 39-row game. So, at the very least, it's a little bit better. The San Diego Padres, they certainly are having their trials and tribulations. We'll talk about them a little bit more with Cody Decker in the second segment. But with the Miami Marlins, 7-0, they were able to get the W. Sandy Alcantara was dealing in this one. Seven scoreless innings. From there, you wind up having Dylan Flora and Anthony Bender give you a scoreless inning. And for the Miami Marlins, they put up a three-spot early in this one as Ryan Weathers. Not looking like a guy that you want to be relying upon too much longer in the starting rotation. Gives up three home runs, six runs in total over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Going deep for the Fishies. Lewis Brinson, not once but twice. His sixth and seventh home runs of the season. Lewis Brinson is hitting at 282, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what planet I'm living in, but I didn't think that that was possible. And then Brian De La Cruz gets his 
first career home run off of Weathers. From there, the bullpen was able to do a relatively solid job. Miguel Diaz gives you two scoreless innings. Reese Noir, hopefully I'm saying that one correctly, two and a third innings, scoreless, but then you wind up having acquisition. Daniel Hudson come in, he gives up a run without recording it out, so certainly not what you were hoping for for the Padres as they wind up only getting four hits in this one. The Yankees got what they were hoping for, a win in their series against the Kansas City Royals, 5-2 to two the final as it was a bullpen game for them. Lucas Lutige winds up giving up one run in two innings as the opener, Albert Abreu, two and a third innings, gives up a run, but then Jeffrey Rodriguez gives you two-thirds of an inning scoreless. Jonathan Lewis gives Zach Britton scoreless innings out of them, and Chad Green gives you two scoreless. Looked very good in those, and for the New York Yankees, four of 11 with men in scoring position, so they did a good job there. Brady Singer, he just got knocked around in this game. First start since coming off the injured list. Gives up 10 hits, five total runs, and three and two-thirds innings. Bullpen from there was actually good. Domingo Tapia, Jake Brents, Greg Holland, Irvin Santana, I'll give you a scoreless inning, and Ryan Lovelady, one and a third inning scoreless, but certainly gave up a lot of hits as the Yankees had 12 in total, 10 of them came off of Brady Singer. The... LA Dodgers were able to accrue quite a few hits against the Philadelphia Phillies. 8-2 the final. A little bit of a strange game as Kyle Gibson was supposed to be the starter. Got scratched but wound up coming in after the rain delay. Joe Girardi was trying to play in nine games. I think that this might have affected Mr. Gibson as this was his first time coming in in relief in a very long time. He was hurt by a fielding error by Alec Bohm, but after Connor Brogdon and Hector Neris gave the team scoreless innings prior to the rain delay, he comes in for four and a third innings, gives up six runs, three of which were earned, including home run. Archie Bradley comes in for two-thirds of an inning scoreless. J.D. Hammer was able to give you a scoreless inning, but this guy's been terrible out of the bullpen. Mauricio Lovero winds up coming in, and he did not wind up doing his job in this one as he gives up two runs in an inning, including home run. He is now giving up runs in four out of his last five appearances, and I believe that all of them have been two innings or fewer for the Dodgers going deep for them in this one. Cody Bellinger, not once but twice, is eighth and ninth home runs of the season, and David Price got a double off of Kyle Gibson for his first career extra base hit as he winds up giving up two runs over the course of four innings. From there, Phil Bickford gave you a scoreless inning, but Brasuda Gradraw looked like himself. Two scoreless innings. He is looking much better for the Dodgers. Blake Tryon, Edwin Uceta both give you scoreless innings as well. So the Dodgers have now taken the last two from the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Phillies began the month 8-0. They have now lost two straight games. A team that is starting to get a little bit hot once again is the Detroit Tigres. And going to Baltimore will do that for you. 5-2 the final for the Tigres. Tyreek Skubal, six scoreless innings. He looked terrific. Joey Menez, Jose Cicerno, goodbye for a scoreless inning. Irasimo Ramirez winds up giving up two runs in an inning. And Gregory Soto comes in and he's able to give the team a scoreless inning. And for Miguel Cabrera, he is one home run away from 500. His 12th of the season, 499th of his career. That comes off of the dark night. Matt Arby gives up three runs over the course of five innings, including that home run. From there, at the an actual night, Dustin Knight. Gives up two runs over the course of two innings. Cesar Valdez, Dylan Tate, both give you a scoreless inning. And Anthony Sandaner, looking a little bit better since he wound up having some early season injuries. His 10th home run the season. The Oakland A's certainly looked solid out there in Cleveland. 6-3, they were able to take down the Windians as for the A's, he wound up having Frankie Montas come in and give you six innings, giving up two runs, one of which was earned. From there, Jake Diekman gives up a run and an inning, but Sergio Roma, Lou Trevino, they were able to close the door. And for the Oakland A's, pair of home runs. Elvis Andrews, who had a terrible start to the year, starting to pick it up. His third home run of the season, that comes off of Nick Sandlin. And then Trevor Stephen winds up allowing a home run to Jed Lowry, his 13th as Cal Quantrill, another good start for the Cleveland Indians. 
gives up two runs over the course of six innings. He has now allowed a combined five earned runs in his last six starts. He has won six plus innings in each out of his last five starts. So he's been actually really good for the Indians. Brian Shaw from there gives you a scoreless inning, but then Samlin, he doesn't record an out, and he gives up three runs, including one of those home runs. And then from there, Trevor Steven comes in for the final two innings, giving up a run, and the Indians just one of three with men in scoring position. So not a lot of opportunity there. The Braves had blown a couple opportunities earlier in their game against the Reds, but they got one at the biggest time from Ozzie Albies as he winds up hitting a walk-off three-run homer in the 11th inning to make the Atlanta Braves an 8-6 winner for Albies. That was his 19th home run season. That comes off of Lucas Sims, and then earlier in the game, Guillermo Aradia winds up going deep off of Wade Miley for his fifth home run season. For Miley, he winds up giving up five runs over the course of five innings, and until that 11th inning, the Reds' bullpen was doing their part. Justin Wilson, Ethan Embry, Michael Lorenzen, Michael Givens, Luis Sessa. I'll give you a scoreless inning, but Lucas Sims, two-thirds of an inning, gives up three runs, two of which were earned, including that walk-off jack. And for the Reds, they go 3-16 of 16 with men in scoring position, but how about Joey Votto? His 24th and 25th home runs of the season. He extended this game by being able to get a home run in the ninth off of Will Smith. Will Smith wound up getting very jiggy with it, and he owes a steak dinner to Ozzy Albies for bailing him out in this one. He gives up two runs in that ninth inning. Luke Jackson gives up a run in an inning as well. And Tuki Tucson, relatively solid start here. Gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Jesse Chavez was able to give you a scoreless inning. Chris Martin along Tyler Mazek. They combined for a scoreless inning. Richard Rodriguez gives you one scoreless. And then Edgar Santana did give up a run in the 11th inning, but it was a man that starts on second, so that was an unearned run. A team that was not able to get things going on Wednesday, that would be the LA Angels, as it was just a pounding by the Blue Jays. 10-2, they wind up taking down the Angels. I'm doing this in the bottom of the ninth, so maybe the Angels wind up adding an insurance run, but Alec Manoa, Manoa, what? He's looked really good recently. Six and two-thirds innings. He winds up giving up two runs. In his last six starts, he's got an ERA that's hovering right around a buck fifty. Taylor Sacido gives you one and a third innings out of the bullpen, and the right hand comes in for the ninth inning for the Blue Jays. How about that man, George Springer? He now has I believe 13 home runs since the beginning of the month of July. It might be 12, but he hits two in this one. 15th and 16th of the season. Teoscar Hernandez gets his 18th home run season. And Lourdes Gurriel was able to get his 13th as this was not what the Angels were hoping for out of Dylan, don't call me Al Bundy. Gives you four innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned. Sam Selman, he did worse. He gives up four runs over the course of an inning. Aaron Slager comes in for a super long relief. And Mr. Slagers gives up three runs over the course of four innings. Shoy Otani winds up getting a second home run and I believe the team's last 13 games. His 38th of the season, but that's really all the Angels wound up having going for them. And for the Angels, this is an offense that all of a sudden is really scuffling. They are broken the four-run plateau in just three out of their last 14 games. And ever since the All-Star break, they are second worst in the American League with regards to runs per game. That moniker obviously belongs to the Texas Rangers, who are scoring fewer than two and a half runs per game. And they just have not been good in general. You know what else has not been good in general? The Arizona Diamondbacks, and they wind up falling to the San Francisco Giants 7-2, and the Giants now 9-2 in their last 11 games. They played in that stretch, the Houston Astros and the Milwaukee Brewers. So, yeah, this team is pretty good as they wind up having a quadrant of home runs. Lamonte Wade Jr., 14th home run of the season. 
Austin Dickerson, his 13th home run of the season. Brandon Crawford is 19th, and Buster Posey is 15th as Kevin Gosman gives up two runs over the course of his five innings, only one of which was earned. Now, it was his own error that wound up costing him, and he did walk four, so he hasn't necessarily looked as sharp recently, but still, he's going up against the Arizona Diamondbacks, so you're able to sort out the kinks there. Then from there, Jarlin Garcia, Tony Watson, Dominique Leon, Jose Alvarez. All able to give you a score of setting him for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They were 6-3 and three in their last nine games, started by Merrill Kelly. Gives up five runs over the course of five innings, including two of those home runs. Brett Degeis and Tyler Clippard both give up a solo home run in their inning of work. Jake Faria able to give you a score of setting, but for the Arizona Diamondbacks, one of 11 with men in scoring position, and this is a game that is now in the bottom of the ninth as I do this. One-to-one between the Seattle Mariners and the Texas Rangers for the Rangers. They used pretty much Spencer Howard as an opener in this one, and then they piggybacked him with Taylor Hearn. We've been noticing this. The couple starts that Howard has made for the Texas Rangers. Three scoreless innings from him, so that's good. And then from there, you wind up having Taylor Hearn give up a run in four innings. Josh Shorbich was able to give you a scoreless inning, but the Texas Rangers right now averaging right around 2.3 runs per game ever since the beginning of the second half of the season since the All-Star break, and it continues as Tyler Anderson. Quality starting this one. Gives up one run in five and a third innings. Josh Smith gives up Nothing in his two-thirds of an end. Casey Sadler, Diego Casio, Drew second rider. I'll give you a scoreless inning. I'm doing this as the game is in the ninth inning because I have to have this up by midnight. But what we are also noticing as well is that in Major League Baseball, we have been noticing a couple more unders over the last three days. Really, since the All-Star break, it's been a couple more unders rather than overs. 172 unders and 167 overs over the last three days. We've also seen the favorites do a relatively solid job. 214 and 141, 60.3% clip over the last three days. Home teams have dried up a little bit. 53.4%, 191, and 167 is the number there. And if you're looking over the last seven days, favorites are just mashing. 66 and 23 in that span. And in that time span, 46 unders and 40 overs. So unders have really been having themselves a good last few days, aside from if you take the under in Yankees versus Royals on Monday. That was absolutely brutal. But overall for the year, we're seeing a relatively even split between overs and unders. As things sit, we've seen 816 overs and 811 unders so far this year. Favorites overall for the year, hitting at a 59.4% clip. 1,002 favorites have hit and 865 have lost. Meanwhile, home teams 934 and 769 this season. That is 54.8%. So that's what we're all noticing in Major League Baseball right now. And that's what we wound up seeing on Wednesday. Now let's take a look forward to Thursday's games with Cody Decker. Talk with him a little bit about the NL Cy Young race. Talk about the National League MVP race as well. How you should probably be betting that. A guy or two that he likes for each award. And we'll have some fun with it talking about some of these teams that are both going to be in action on Thursday and are looking to make some pushes for the playoffs. That's on the other side with Cody Decker right here on the Baseball Winning Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. Welcome back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to be joined by this guest. We had him on once earlier this year, and it's great to get him back as we get on former MOB player Cody Decker. Does a great job and a frequent visitor over there at Circus Sportsbook. Great whenever he's over there and great whenever he's on here. You're also able to hear him on 670 The Score that is out there in the great city of Chicago, Illinois. Guy does an absolutely terrific job looking at so many different things from both just a 
natural former player standpoint of baseball and also a betting standpoint. And to be able to follow Cody Decker on Twitter, easy enough. His last name, Decker, D-E-C-K-E-R, and then the number six. And Cody, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Always good to join you, man. And yes, please check out my show down the line on 670 The Score, not to mention big time baseball that I do with Tony Gwynn Jr. and a couple other cool things coming up pretty soon. So check out that Twitter page that you gave out because I got some pretty cool announcements coming up. Absolutely. I know that he's been doing a lot with just Odyssey in general, obviously 670 The Score, which I mentioned, and guy just does an absolutely tremendous job. And I remember last time you joined me, Cody, it was like very late April, early May, and we were asking about teams that might wind up fading off after they wound up having a hot start and what was for real. And you thought the one thing that was for real was the San Francisco Giants. I followed your lead, and so far it has been so good. And what has really allowed San Francisco to have the staying power? Because if you ask me, I think it's because there's this bounce up and down the board, and then you got a guy in Buster Posey that does just such a great job as both a leader and being able to call a game. But what have you really noticed with this team? Because we both have liked them. And I think that both of us have very similar reasonings for it. A lot of reasons for me personally. One, of course, you got a great pitching staff. Spirited by Gossman, an incredible year he's having. Not to mention veteran leadership. And I know that's an older core group of guys. You mentioned Buster Posey. This was a team that last year, and I again, I understand it was a 60-game season and a lot of chaos happened during that time. But this was a team that missed the playoffs by one game. And this was a team that was also without Buster Posey that entire season. I love personally and on the field, Tyler Heineman. But I think you even ask Tyler Heineman, he'll stare at you and say, yeah, I'm not as good as Buster Posey is. If Buster Posey was on that team last year, the San Francisco Giants are in the playoffs and who knows what would have happened. We might not have gotten another, gotten that Dodger World Series. We might have gotten a fourth Giants World Series in just the last 10 years. So I think this team is very real, especially adding in that player that is Buster Posey, not to mention the uh, comeback player of the year type of season that Brandon Crawford has been having. You know, Brandon Belt, is not a guy that's getting a lot of credit because I know his average is a little down and I know we still look at average and use that to determine whether a guy is good. But the guy has been off the bench. The guy has been playing on the field. The guy has got 15 home runs. He has been having a stellar year in the role he's been put in too. This is a team that just goes out and beats you. And there's no particular way they do it. They beat you every way. That's why I like this team, and they've always felt real to me. And guess what? They called me a madman, and I was right. I love it. I absolutely love it. So many people have been saying, oh, the Giants are going to rest. The Giants can't keep this up. They're going to have that fall off. Right now, they've got the best record in the big leagues, and the guy that they have going on Thursday, I feel like has been one of the biggest reasons as well, Logan Webb. The oh, team is 8-1 and one in his last nine starts. He's come off the injured list and has given the team in his last nine starts two runs or fewer in every last one of them. Now, I will say the guy going on the other end for the Colorado Rockies, Herman Marquez, he's had a pretty solid year as well and has always pitched a little bit better whenever he's been away from Coors Field. Right now, seeing the total anywhere between 7.5 and 8, this is one that personally I really like the under on. I want to given this out for the New York Post. And I'm seeing the Giants right around a minus 155 to minus 160 favorite. But it's really hard to take a look at the Colorado Rockies on the road. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like their home and road splits because this is a team with, I believe, the second best home record out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, on the road, I do recognize that in their last 16 games, they're 7-9, but they went 6-33 and in their first 39 road <laughs> games. And it's just been really befuddling to watch them, to say the least. Meanwhile, the Giants home road. You could send them to Planet Pluto. They've been consistent wherever they've played. 
Absolutely. And, you know, the Rockies are just, listen, I understand the decent home schedule, but the Rockies are a terrible baseball team. They're a terribly ran organization. And the thing about the Rockies that drives me nuts is this would should be a fun game to bet on. But it's just not because the Rockies are an absolute dumpster fire and there's no value in any of these picks. However, I do disagree with you. I actually think the over is going to come in, but it isn't because of the Rockies. And I like the fact that Webb's only given up two runs in his last few outings. However, I think that team is going to put up a six spot on Marquez. I could certainly see that happening. And hey, a six to nothing game, that would certainly be helpful as well as we do have a Colorado Rockies team that they're right now scoring the fewest runs per game on the road. And when it comes to their batting average, dead last on the road. Meanwhile, they're first at home. So very demonstrative splits there as we do have Cody Decker joining me on the podcast and Cody something else I think is very fascinating is the Baltimore Orioles in general not necessarily for the right reasons but they do have one good reason on their team and that'd be John Means the guy that is going to be going on Thursday absolutely love this guy wanted pitching the no hitter earlier this year in mm-hmm. Seattle has come off the injured list it took him a starter two to be able to get going but I always find with starters I don't want to take them in their first, even sometimes their second start coming off the injured list, but now that he's gotten a couple games under his belt, he is looking more like the John Means that we saw at the beginning of the year. He's going up against a guy, Matt Manning, that, I'll be honest here, I think that he just got sent up to the big leagues a little bit too early. He was posting up an 8 ERA at the minor league level on the road so far this year, north of 9 ERA and overall an ERA of 6. It just has not gone well for him. Orioles are a minus 130 to a minus 135 favorite. It's not often that I advise laying prices with the Orioles, especially with the Tigers actually playing some halfway decent baseball ever since the All-Star break. But I think look, it means I think that he's going to be able to deliver another nice start. I agree with you wholeheartedly. This might be the only series I'll be gambling on the Baltimore Orioles for the next year and a half, in fact. I think, like you said, anytime a pitcher comes back from a DIL stint, yes, I do not feel comfortable in his first one to three starts. He is facing the Tigers. Yes, the Tigers were the hottest team in baseball coming off the break, but have gone right back to Tigerland since then. I do like this bet. I do think there's a decent value in it. But if you are going to bet the Baltimore Orioles, this is the time to do it. This is the game to do it. Absolutely. You're not going to get too many opportunities to be able to take the Baltimore Orioles. Take them when you can. And then obviously on Thursday as well, something that's really catching my attention is a game that's going to be played out there in the state of Iowa. Many of you guys are wondering, what major league team is in the state of Iowa? Well, there is a one, but you've got the field of dream games that's going to be going on between the White Sox and the Yankees. This is just going to be so unique. I know that in doing my research, it looks like the ballpark dimensions are similar to the old Comiskey Park. So it's going to be out right around 335 feet around right field. And then center field is right around 400 feet, which I think is just so fascinating. Going to be really cool. And what I think is going to be interesting is whether or not these guys are maybe a little bit more amped up for this game than normal because it is sort of a one-off. It is a little bit of an oddity because after this game, they wind up having a travel day, and then Saturday and Sunday, they wind up finishing up the series in Chicago. But I think that this is just a unique spot in general with the Yankees sending out their Andrew Heaney and Lance Lynn the ace of the Chicago White Sox going at it on Thursday. I'm looking very, very forward to this game as well. Not because of the movie Field of Dreams. It's a terrible movie. It's unwatchable. That being said, this is very cool. Everything about this is cool. I like when Major League Baseball, when the NHL, in fact, you know, when they give us a different view. Remember, like, last year, the NHL had that game out on the river and what's what was Seattle? Lake Tahoe. 
Lake Tahoe, man, I loved that. I thought that was such a unique and cool thing. And I think more sports teams should take this up. You know, Major League Baseball played a game, I think, what, two years ago in London. I hope they do more of that. I think this is a very exciting game, and this is an exciting team. The Chicago White Sox right now are, to me, the best team in the American League. They have the best starting staff. Even with Rodon hitting the IL retroactively for 10 days, he can come off on Wednesday. We just don't know where he's at. But you mentioned Lance Lynn going. Right now, to me, he's the odds-on favorite for the Cy Young. I had Rodon until this IL stint, I like this team and I just cannot find it in my heart to ever bet against this team. The problem with this team, however, is that they are so dominant, especially within their own division, that there's almost, again, not a whole lot of value in betting on them. I agree with you because the White Sox are technically going to be the home team in this one. They're anywhere between minus 165 to minus 170. I'm seeing the run line at a plus price and with Andrew Heaney, he has been giving up home runs and he's yes. been giving up a lot of them. Eloy Jimenez, Wound up having a pair of two home run games on Sunday and Monday. So he's been white out. Tim Anderson wound up having leadoff home runs in both of those games as well. So they certainly have been able to come around. And a team that, well, we were talking a little bit earlier about how the Giants are not regressing. This team, unfortunately, is. That would be the Boston Red Sox. But I do like the guy that they're throwing out there on Thursday. Tanner Hook is someone I think is going to be very good for Boston for a very long time. Sub-2 ERA whenever he's gotten his opportunities with the Red Sox. He's going to be going against Drew Rasmussen as it looks like he's going to be pretty much either an opener or an opener deluxe for the Tampa Bay Rays. Not a guy that gives you really anything more than two innings. As of right now, the only line that I'm seeing is at DraftKings with the Rays being a slight minus 115 favorite, but it's been a tough ride for the Boston Red Sox. They have blown leads in pretty much like seven out of their last 12 games. It's been absolutely ridiculous to watch. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what we wind up getting out of the Red Sox because I do think that there's a good chance that Hook winds up out pitching Drew Rasmussen. But as we know, the Rays, they do such a good job late in games and that bullpen is always lights out. I know this is not something that Boston Red Sox fans are going to like hearing, but I think the Red Sox are going in the absolute wrong direction, and I think they're going to miss out on October. I'm really not worried about the Yankees either. I'm worried about the Toronto Blue Jays in that division. I think the Blue Jays are primed and ready to make a serious run to snag one of those wild card spots. I am not feeling good about the Red Sox, even with Chris Sale coming back. And like you said, it is very, very hard. The, to me, the hardest team to gamble with is the Rays because they just find ways to win. And now that they got Nelson Cruz in that lineup, that is a team that I think can go deep, deep into the playoffs. And it's the one team. I mean, it's going to be a very interesting October with those two teams taking on the White Sox because those two teams are scary. However, to me, you got to put your money on the Rays. They're just too good. And I do not like where Boston's bullpen has been. Yep. I totally agree with you because with the Boston Red Sox, the bullpen all year long, I was taking a look at the names, and it's like, can they continue to pitch like this? And we're starting to see that drop-off. It was looking like Nick Bavetta was going to be going in this one. I actually like Tanner Hook a little bit more, so that's actually a little bit of a bonus for the Boston Red Sox, but certainly has been a little bit of a tough issue, and I'm so glad that you brought up the Blue Jays because they're a team that I'm very high on, as we do have Cody Decker joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And one of the big reasons why I do like the Blue Jays is because they brought in the guy that they needed to be able to make that playoff push. 
Jose Barrios, who's going to be going on Thursday. He's going to be going up against Shohei Otani. It's not often that you see a Shohei Otani home start and MVP underdog. I'm seeing it anywhere between plus 113 and plus 120 as we do this, but I think that it's spot on. With Jose Barrios, he has been able to do such a better job the last two years of being able to pitch whenever he's been away from home. Before it was Minnesota, now it's Toronto, but he's really reined it in with that regard. And Shohei Otani, no doubt a solid pitcher, but he's much more dominant at the plate, in my opinion, than he is as a pitcher because he has had his walks issues. He's really been able to rein it in the last month. I give him so much credit. I remember he was just walking the planet in the first month of the season. Ever since then, he's really been able to lock in. But even if Shohei Otani gives you a good start, you've got your issues with this Angels bullpen. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays, they go out and they get Brad Hand. And even before the deadline, they wind up getting Trevor Richards. They bring in Adam Simber. And both of these guys have been pretty solid for them as well. You just said the name that I thought was the big name that they put in their pin, and that was Adam Simber. I played with Adam Simber a few years back, back when we were both in the Padre organization. Simber is an unreal pitcher. You have no idea. As a right-handed hitter that I was, you have no idea how difficult it is to hit that guy. He doesn't have to hit spots. That's a guy who can live in the middle of the zone and will get me out almost every single time. I can know what's coming. That's how good Adam Simber is. Not to mention Barrios. Oh my God, what a pickup by the Blue Jays. To me, he came completely out of nowhere. I was betting money that he was going to end up in San Diego. Didn't happen. And he's over there in Toronto. Like this matchup. But like you said, Otani, as a starter, has he been good? Of course he has. He was an all-star. He started the all-star game. I think Otani's future, truthfully, on the mound is as a reliever, not as a starter. He's more of a two-pitch mix guy rather than a three-pitch mix guy. When every time he tries to pitch with three pitches, like you mentioned, he has command issues, and that scares me. Barrios, one of the best pitchers in baseball. I like this game, even though it's over in Anaheim. I like the Blue Jays, and I think the Blue Jays can absolutely put up a five-spot early on Otani, especially if he's pitching off his fastball. And the Blue Jays have just been so good when it comes to the deep ball as well, leading the big leagues when it comes to home runs. And you know what? That guy, George Springer, he is back. He is now earning the pay that they wound up giving him in the offseason. So that has been nice to see as well as we do have Cody Decker joining me on the podcast. I'm glad that you brought up the Padres as well because when I take a look at the NLS, I do think that the one team that I've got concerns about right now is the San Diego Padres. Ryan Weathers wound up getting lit up on Wednesday. They've been really searching for some of their starters, which is something that I can't believe that I'm saying right now mm-hmm. because it looked like coming into the season they were going to be rock solid. Mike Clevenger has yet to start so far this year because he has been dealing with a myriad of injuries. If Denelson Lamet does wind up coming back, sounds like he's pretty much going to be somewhat of a reliever slash super reliever. Weathers has not been able to get the job done. Chris Paddock has just been a hot mess for the team. He's got like a 6 ERA at home so far this year. Now, you do have you Darvish, who I'm sure that he's going to be able to find it. He's given up four-plus runs in four out of his last six games, but the ultimate get-right medicine is the Arizona Diamondbacks, who on ESPN, I'm seeing them trot out there. Taylor Widener, right now on the betting board, it's to be determined. You don't have any line on this game, just bank on the San Diego Padres being some sort of an absurd favorite. But when I take a look at this San Diego Padres team, just moving forward, I think that it's just so important that they wind up Raining things in a little bit more, for lack of a better term, because the offense has been there all year long for the scene, but it feels like they leave men on base in certain spots, and the bullpen, 
the usage to me is just a little bit too much because they've used their bullpen for more innings than any other team out there in the big leagues. Yes, they have. And it's been concerning as of late. You mentioned the troubles that Darvish has had. And then, you know, troubles is maybe a too harsh of a word. We're talking about games where he's given up four runs as if that's not a pretty good start. The barometer normally for a quality start is about three runs. If he's given up four, this is the San Diego Padres. This is a team with one of the most dynamic offenses in Major League Baseball. So if you give up four runs as a Padre, it is technically, in my eyes, a quality start. I do think this team needs to pull it together a little bit on the mound, though, because they did get out fleeced during the trade deadline, which I never thought the day would come where A.J. Preller would be outfleeced by anyone ever, ever. And it happened. And now the Padres are dealing with it. And then you got the other issue with Tatis Jr. going on the I.L. But however, that offense is going crazy. I love it. Manny Machado right now is honestly one of my picks for the MVP of the National League. He's under the radar dominating this league. I think he's actually above Tatis Jr. Also with all those DL stints, I like the Padres. I am worried about them, but I'm only worried about them because they're in the same division as the Giants and the Dodgers. We're going to get three teams out of that division, that NL West, that are going to go to the playoffs, and they're all going to have 95-plus wins. Yep, I've been saying it for quite a while that you're going to get three teams out of the National League West. I am in total agreement with you there. And when you take a look at that National League MVP, is it Manny Machado is at the very minimum in your top two slash top three? Because this thing has been completely turned on its head. It was looking like it was going to be Jacob deGrom. He went down with injury. Fernando Tatis Jr. was your number two choice. He's went down with injury. And now you can make a case for a bunch of guys. We remember Freddie Freeman was able to get it last year. He's having himself a solid year. I don't think that they would wind up giving it to him once again, but... You just take a look at this National League MVP race, and at this point, I think that you should just be taking flyers on guys that you think is going to have a big month plus the rest of the season because right now, I think it's anyone's award. It really is. And got to keep in mind, this is something I want people to really to break down in a different way, break down on the MVP on what to gamble on. And this is the way I want you to look at it. Who votes for the MVP? The writers. The writers do. For the next month and a half, the writers are going to be talking about teams, not as much as players. If you've got a player that is going to be in a playoff run, you got to start paying attention to that player, like, say, Max Muncie, who might be very much at the top of this list of the MVP race. If the Phillies continue to win, Bryce Harper is making a legitimate case on during this second half. Manny Machado and Tatis Jr., they have a legitimate case, not just the second half, the entire season. I, I agreed with you up until, of course, a month ago. It was like Jacob deGrom was going to be your Cy Young Award winner and your MVP, and right now it's looking like he's going to be neither. Yeah, it's just absolutely insane what we've seen with this. And it's one of these things in which, yeah, Juan Soto could wind up tearing it up for the Washington Nationals, have himself a big second half of the year. He's just not going to win the war because the Washington Nationals wound up selling off everything. They are not going to come anywhere close to the postseason. So that's something that I think is so important as well. So a good point there. And then just taking a look at the board for Thursday, we've touched upon some of the bigger games that are going to be going down. Is there anything else that you're really going to be looking at, whether it be just a sit-down have yourself a nice beverage sort of situation, just watch one of the games, or if there's something that you might be looking at a bet for Thursday with? No real bets. I'm just very interested in the futures right now because this Rodon injury to me absolutely threw a wrench, in my opinion, in that entire AL Cy Young race. It almost makes it like you just gave the award to Lance Lynn. Everything that has been going on on the NL side, we all thought DeGrom was obviously the go-to guy for the NL Cy Young. Now, I don't think he's going to be in the running anymore. I'm looking at one name that no one will look at. I don't know why. His numbers suggest that he should win the Cy Young, and no one wants to talk about what a year. 
Walker Bueller is currently having. It's been unbelievable how good he is. He's on a pitching staff who is, he is, by the way, the ace of the Los Angeles Dodgers pitching staff. He has the best numbers of anyone on that pitching staff. And that pitching staff has Clayton Kershaw, David Price, Max Scherzer, and about five other all-stars who should be frontlining any organization's starting staff. That's how good Walker Bueller has been this season. And I honestly think if you can find any remotely decent odds to put money on him for the Cy Young Award, do it now. I'm in agreement with you. And the stat that really stands out for me for Walker Bueller, he has won at least five innings in every one of his starts so far this year. And he has won at least six innings in all but one of them in this day and age in which if you could get five innings out of a starter, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. For him to go six plus in all but one of his starts, I believe it's either 22 or 23 starts. That is absolutely ridiculous. What else is ridiculously good? Everything that Cody Decker does. You do a great job over there with 670 to score. I know you've been doing some stuff with Odyssey as well. You're at Circus Sportsbook quite a bit. I know that you're taking a look at the games whenever you're out there, and you do just so many great things. So love the good people at home. Know what you've got going on right now and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Join me on Twitter at Decker6. My last name, Decker, number six, was my lucky number at one point, and then I wore 14 other numbers. But that, Decker6 on Twitter, and Antihero Baseball on Instagram. If you guys could check out all the stuff I'm doing with Odyssey, I'm doing a show with Tony Gwynn Jr. called Big Time Baseball. You can like, share, and subscribe. Subscribe that wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Of course, also the Odyssey app itself. And of course, you can listen to me on 670 The Score for Down the Line with Cody Decker, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino. Please check that out. You could also listen to that live on the Odyssey app. Other cool things coming up very soon. And yes, you could see me often frequenting the grounds of Circa every time I'm in Vegas. That is the greatest place that has ever been invented. But also, I'd like to also ask you guys to do another thing for me. Check me out on Instagram, Antihero Baseball. I do a lot of baseball nonprofit work, and I really would love you guys to check out what I'm doing in El Paso, Texas with the El Paso Border Youth Athletic Association. I'm just trying to get as many kids as I can into college through baseball and softball. And if you guys could check out our website, borderyouth.org, it would mean the world to me. Thank you so much. And Cody does absolutely terrific work when it comes to youth baseball. Just taking a look at the game of baseball day in and day out for a wide variety of shows from a wide variety of angles. And you heard it here on the podcast today. So big thanks to Cody for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming back, this is that time of the podcast. They give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. And a little something I like to call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to be able to get Cody Decker on the podcast. Does great work over there with 670 to score. Does quite a bit of work with Odyssey in general. So nice to be able to get his perspective on things today. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the betting board. For this Thursday, and a little something I like to call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at JarenScordy1. As per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom, so that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. And we are going to be listing any changes that are made to these plays, both on my Twitter feed at JarenScordy1, along with the spreadsheet. So let's get into it with our first National League game. Not sure if I've ever had this happen, but 951-952 on the betting board, what was supposed to be the first game 
between the Washington Nationals on the road against the New York Mets, this is just a big giant switcheroo because the second game of what was supposed to be a doubleheader yesterday wound up getting postponed. So this is relisted as 977, 978, 979, 980 between the Washington Nationals and the New York Mets. I'm just going to hit these games right now because it was supposed to be the first game. And with regards to time order, this is going to be towards the top. But in game one of the doubleheader, looks like we're getting Trevor Williams for the Mets against to be determined of the Washington Nationals. In game two of the doubleheader, it's going to be Eric Fetty Wap against Marcus Stroman. Currently, we've got no numbers on any of these games for Stroman against Fetty. I'll probably be making Marcus Stroman a relatively sizable favorite here, right around like a minus 175-ish. It was supposed to be Andres Machado starting a bullpen game against Marcus Stroman in the game. That actually wound up getting postponed. Total on that game was 6.5 to 7, and the Mets were right around a minus 210 favorite. If they'd wind up being a minus 210 favorite, that would be a little bit too much, but you just take a look at this matchup for Eric Fetty. He's been a little bit all over the place, giving up three plus runs in four out of his last five starts, so it certainly has not been going well there. You take a look at his splits. He's been performing relatively similarly home to road. Two and four at home, two and four on the road, 536 ERA on the road, 493 ERA at home. He has given up six home runs at home. He's given up seven home runs on the road. So you've got a guy that's pretty even-seven there. Meanwhile, with Marcus Stroman, what's really interesting about him is that he's actually been a little bit better on the road than he has been at home. 309 ERA in New York, 3-6 and six record, 4-5 and five record on the road with a 264 ERA. And by the way, the fact that he's currently 7-11 with a 283 ERA is absurd. But getting back to the point, this is a guy in Stroman that does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. At home so far this year, it's given up four home runs in 55 and a third innings. Our opponent's starting at 268 off of him, but by and large has been able to do a relatively solid job. His one start against Washington Nationals gave up four runs in four innings, so that's a little bit of a wart, but this is someone that ever since the beginning of the month of June has been able to pitch relatively well. It's been online with what we've seen out of him all year long. Got to figure that the Washington Nationals, because they were going to be going with a bullpen game yesterday in game two of that doubleheader, they're probably going to be trying that out against Trevor Williams, and I'd be willing to make Williams a little bit of a favorite because if you take a look at the Mets, this is just a team that in general, despite the fact that they came into yesterday 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games at home overall for the year, they are 34-20, and 20, but with Trevor Williams, I don't have a lot of faith in him. I don't have a lot of faith in the Washington Nationals bullpen, which I'm going to get to in a second, but this is a gentleman that when he was away from Wrigley Field in his six starts this year, 7.88 ERA, five home runs surrendered in 24 innings. Now, it's a pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in New York, and opponents hitting a 3.43 off of him when he's away from Wrigley. And then you take a look at the Nats. They were going to be trying out their Andres Machado in that game. You got to figure that you're probably going to be seeing just a healthy helping of guys like a Mason Thompson, Jeffrey Rodriguez, guys like this that, let's face it, Mason Thompson is able to give you a little bit of something, but Rodriguez has right around a five-ish ERA. Kyle Finnegan is probably going to be called upon for a few innings. He's a guy that overall for the year on the bullpen has a three ERA. And for the Washington Nationals, they have been able to get their offense going because Juan Soto has been able to do a nice job for this team. Soto has been able to pound out 19 home runs along with Josh Bell with Soto a 431 on base. I like what I'm seeing there. Josh Bell being right around 245. And Carter Keyboom is taking care of some opportunities right around 255 batting average. But you take a look at some of these guys. 
Luis Garcia, the catcher spot in general, has been a little bit of a mess. Trace Barrera has been able to do a little bit of something when he's been in the lineup with regards to hitting, but behind the plate has been a hot mess. Andrew Stevenson hitting right around the Mendoza line of 200 along with Victor Robles. And for the Mets, this is an offense that they just can't get out of their own way. They're in the bottom five with regards to runs per game. Now at home, their home ERA is in the top four with regards to all teams, so they'd be able to do a good job of pitching, but you need a little bit more from this team. J.D. Davis, Brandon Nimmo, but thing between a 285 and a 295 is nice. Jeff McNeil hitting a 270. That's solid. And they were able to get back Javi Baez yesterday as well, which is big, but it's Baez along Jonathan VR, James McCann, all guys hitting between a 235 and a 245. Baez along with Pete Alonso, both hitting for north of 20 home runs so far this year. And Don Smith is hitting a 250. But you take a look at this Mets team. I do fear that the wheels might wind up falling off of this bullpen a little bit as well. It's just not sustainable that you've got Aaron Loop with a 122 ERA. Miguel Castro has been a little bit up and down recently. Seth Lugo, since coming off the injured list, has been solid, hasn't necessarily been great. You take a look at what you might be able to get out of someone like the NCDS. It's a little bit up in the air. 338 ERA, so in his limited outings, he's actually been able to do a relatively solid job, but I just don't know if he's going to be able to duplicate that for that long, but when you take a look at the Washington Nationals, certainly a rough spot having Eric Fetty against Marcus Roman, so in that spot, probably going to be making the Nets right around a plus 175 underdog, and in Stroman versus Fetty, a 6 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over 6.5 or higher. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. When it comes to the bullpen game against Trevor Williams, this is one in which I probably need a 7.5 to start to look at the under, a 7 or lower. Probably going to be looking at the over. A lot of this subject to change. Joe, check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's Cordy 1. Unfortunately, have to come out of the gates with that, but certainly where I'm going to be looking with regards to a strange situation. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals sit the road face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. JT Brubaker is going to be going for the Pirates. Wade LeBlanc is going to be going for the Cards. Cardinals find themselves anywhere between minus 124 and minus 130 favorites. Meanwhile, for the Buccos, it's between plus 110 and plus 115. 9-9.5 is your total. On the 9 at DraftKings, over is minus 135 and the under is plus 115. So, a little bit of brain there. We're seeing more 9.5s with the under being anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 and the over is anywhere between even and minus 110. With Brubaker, he has been one of the least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues and a lot of this is because he is really the number one guy for the Pittsburgh and he just seems to always draw some of the better pitchers on the other end. But good news is he now gets Wade LeBlanc, who I will say, since he wound up getting to St. Louis, has not been too bad for the team. Now, he is giving up right around, I would say, about 1.35 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine, 3.2. But a 3.12 ERA, he doesn't give you a lot of strikeouts, right around five strikeouts per nine innings, but has been able to do a good job of holding down the fort. Meanwhile, you take a look at Brubaker. He's giving up a little bit over two home runs per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine is right around nine, so he's been able to do a solid job, and he's been much more effective at home than on the road. On the road, a 6.05 ERA and a 1-7 and record. 3-4 3-4 and four home with a 365 ERA. He's allowed 15 of his 23 home runs when he's been on the road as well. So certainly something to take a look at. And you want to take a look at the fact that both of these teams are in the bottom three of the National League when it comes to runs per game ever since the beginning of the month of June. Just neither of these teams have been able to get out of their own way. Now, with the St. Louis Cardinals, you've got Dylan Carlson, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Harrison Bader, along with Tyler O'Neill. All in between a 260 and a 280. O'Neill and Goldschmidt both giving you 18 home runs. Nolan Arenado has been able to go deep 22 times. Armando Sosa, Tommy Edmund, Yadier Molina. These guys are in between a 245 and a 255 themselves, but they just seem to strain a lot of men on base. It just seems like you wind up getting like a leadoff single with this team, and then they don't do anything with it, and they had a bunch of solo home runs. 
It's been really strange to watch the Cardinals. Meanwhile, for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Hoy Park wound up entering into yesterday's game, hitting above a 300. He's been a little bit of a bright spot for this team. Brian Ace is able to give you about a 250 batting average, and Brian Reynolds has really been carrying the mail for this team, hitting above a 300. 19 home runs going into yesterday. You do wind up getting back Colin Moran. That makes this team a little bit better, but you still have so many guys that they are not capable of getting on base, like an Eric Gonzalez, Rodolfo Castro. You've got Michael Perez, Gregory Palunco, Anthony Alford. All these guys hitting at 220 or lower for the team. Losing Ben Gamble has been tough. Now with the Pittsburgh Pirates, bullpen has been relatively solid for the team, but they trade away Richard Rodriguez. Kyle Kirk is on the injured list, which means that Chris Range and Jason Shreve are guys that are getting trotted out there night in and night out. Then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. The bullpen has really been regressing for them as well. Both Millers, Andrew and Justin Miller, not necessarily too effective. TJ McFarlane has been okay. I expect regression there, though. Giovanni Gallegos. Genesis Cabrera have not been as good in recent months. Alex Reyes still doing a solid job as a closer, but certainly an interesting spot here because I actually do like Wade LeBlanc, and I do think that the Cardinals just have a little bit more firepower than the Pirates at this point, which is why I wanted saying the Cardinals as a minus-134 favorite, and I did wind up saying the sold at 8.6, so I'm going to be diving under just because of the futility of both of these offenses. It is a little bit of a pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in Pittsburgh as well, and I'm going to be going with the Cardinals on the money line. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. The LA Dodgers hit the road face-off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Rangers Suarez is going to be going for the Phils. Dodgers have to be announced. I was seeing Mr. Julio Arias a little bit earlier. Currently it is off the board though because we don't know if it's going to be Mr. Urias or if we're going to get a bullpen game, whatever. So this is a game that is presently off the board. When it was Mr. Urias who was supposed to be going for the Dodgers, I was setting them at more around a minus 145-ish favorite. I think I was settling at more around a minus 147 because with Suarez, though, his ERA is a 0.98 and in 46 innings, he's allowed just three home runs. He's probably not going to give you anything more than I would say about three innings. He's made two starts and has been a long relief for the team all year long. 29 total appearances, two starts, 46 total innings. Has not went north of three innings all year long, so this is not a guy that's going to give you a lot of length, so he's pretty much an opener de jour for a Philadelphia Phillies bullpen that has been better recently. Over the last three days, they're actually in the top half of the big leagues. When it comes to bullpen ERA, it's still not great, though. J.D. Hammer might be able to give you a little bit of length. Archie Bradley is someone that could probably give you multiple innings, but Aniel De Los Santos, Connor Brogdon, these guys are not necessarily great, and Mauricio Lovera is a hot mess. Meanwhile, you take a look at the L.A. Dodgers. Going to be really interesting to see what happens if they don't wind up going with Mr. Julio Urias because it looks like he's going to have his start pushed back to Friday. So got to figure that this might be a little bit of a bullpen game for them. Maybe you wind up throwing out there a guy like an Edwin Yuseto who Noah's gotten a start or two. Kevin Quackenbush is probably someone that's going to wind up getting innings. Maybe Connor Green, who they bring in from the Baltimore Orioles. Just a big, giant mishmash of guys. And for the Dodgers, their bullpen has been relatively league average over the last three days. Now, what is not league average is the fact that this team has got a whole bunch of guys that are able to go yard. In the starting lineup yesterday, the only guy with a batting average among position players below a .250 so far this year, that'd be Cody Bellinger. So, yeah, you've got a pretty good lineup there as you've got Will Smith, Trey Turner down for what? Max Muncy. The currently injured Justin Turner down for what? AJ Pollock, Chris Taylor. All these guys with 14 plus home runs. Albert Pools has been able to supply the boom as well. Then you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies. This team, I believe, leads the league in percentages of their home runs. They have been solo home runs. Now they do get back Andrew McCutcheon yesterday. That's big, but Reese Hoskins currently on the injured list. McCutcheon and Harper both have on base percentages north of a 350, with Harper more like a 400 on base and a 300 batting average. Both of these guys, 20 home runs. For Harper, 17 of his home runs have been of the solo variety, but JTB Mito has been able to find a little bit of something in a 270 with a 355 on base. 
Gene Segura is hitting above a 300. Then got a couple guys in Alec Baum, Ronald Torres, who have been hitting between about a 255 to 265. Odu Barrera has been a little bit up and down all year, but certainly going to be an interesting spot. If we do wind up getting like Edwin Yuseta and a complete and utter bullpen game for the Dodgers, we'd probably set them as like a minus 115-ish favorite just out of default because I do like their lineup a little bit more. And this is a spot in which I'd be setting that total where I'd be taking the over on anything that is 9 or lower, 9.5 or higher. We'll be taking a look at the under, but initial thoughts there. Need to know a little bit more about what the Dodgers are doing before I can give you set plays. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JRS41 for that. 957, 958 on the banging board. You got the Milwaukee Brewers in the road face off against the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks is going to be going for the Cubs. For the Brewers, on the betting board, it's listed as to be determined. I'm currently seeing Brandon Woodruff going for them. I know that the Brewers have been doing this quite a bit the last couple days. I'm going to assume that's going to be Brandon Woodruff. And I've got a line personally. If it does wind up being Woodruff versus Hendricks, got the Brewers as a minus 153 favorite, plus 111 if you're laying a run and a half with them. And I'm seeing the wind blowing out a little bit. So I set this total at 8.8, so an 8.5 or lower. We'll be taking a look at the over 9 or higher. We'll be taking a look at the under. When it comes to Brandon Woodruff, this is a guy that all throughout his career, has been able to be pretty solid against the Chicago Cubs. He's got a 0.72 ERA and four starts against them this year, so he has certainly owned them. And then on the road, he's actually been better than he has been at home. 4-5 and five record on the road, but a 2.20 ERA. He's allowed five home runs in 69 and two-thirds innings, and opponents are a buck 42 off of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Kyle Hendricks. Throughout his career, his ERA is more than a full point lower at Wrigley than it is on the road. It's been a reverse so far this year. On the road, 7-1 record, 3-1-3 ERA, 6-3 record at home with a 4.25 ERA, and he's given up 14 home runs in 12 starts at home, 11 starts on the road. He's given up 8 home runs, and his opponent's batting average is a 2.79 in Wrigley Field. So, something that is very fascinating, in my opinion. With the Cubs, they have been able to find a couple bats to be able to give you a little bit of something. Rafael Ortega is hitting a 3.30 for this bunch. You've got a guy in Frank Schwindel who's been able to do a solid job in limited at-bats, and then you've got Matt Duffy along with Wilson Contreras, pair of guys in between a 2.25 and a 240 and for Contreras he has been able to give the team 17 home runs but you've got so many guys earning a 200 or lower. David Bodie you've got Greg Deichman all of a sudden getting at bats. Ian Aft, these guys have just not been good for the team to say the least and for the Milwaukee Brewers, Colton Wong at the leadoff spot has been tremendous. He's hitting about 280 now. Christian Yelich stuck on six home runs going into yesterday but all the other guys have been able to pick it up. William Adamas, Avisel Garcia, Eduardo Escobar, 20 to 24 home runs apiece going into yesterday's game. All the guys hitting between a 253 and a 266 for the season and for Adamas hitting more like a 290 ever since he got to Milwaukee. Omir Nervais is right around a 370 on base. Rowdy with Lorenzo Kane at the bottom of the fold. These guys have been able to get on base ever since they've wound up making their returns in July slash early August for this Brewers team. So they've been able to do a lot. And for the Brewers, currently without Josh Hader, who's been dealing with COVID, but you still have Devin Williams in the bullpen. Brad Boxberg has been good. We talked about this with Matt Paul yesterday. Guys like Miguel Sanchez and Jay Cousins have been good out of the bullpen as well. And for the Cubs, they traded away all their bullpen pieces. No more Craig Kimbrell. No more Ryan Tapera. No more Andrew Chafin. Which means you get Manuel Rodriguez. Yes, Michael Rucker, Cody Hoyer, Rex Brothers. So it's not necessarily going well for them. I'm going to be setting the Brewers as a relatively sizable favorite if it is Mr. Woodruff. And like I said, if it is Woodruff versus Hendricks, ain't that for lower going to be taking a look at the over nine or I are going to be taking a look at the under. 959, 960 on the bank.
playing board. The Atlanta Braves are going to be playing OC Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Vladimir Gutierrez getting the start. Meanwhile, Kyle Muller is going to be on the bump for the Braves, who find themselves as between minus 136 and minus 147 home favorites. On the Reds, they are road underdogs of plus 120 and plus 136. 10.5 is your total. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. The overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. I wound up saying the Reds as a very very slight favor. This is a relative pick for me. Wound up saying the Reds as a minus one or two. I also wound up saying the Soul 9.9. I actually really like what I've seen out of Mr. Gutierrez so far this season. You take a look at what he's been able to put together. A 7-3 record, 4-1-5 ERA. Has been hurt by the deep ball a little bit, right around 1.5, 1.6 home runs per nine inning surrender, but he has been very good on the road. 5.93 home ERA and a 2-2 two two record on the road. 3 11 ERA and a 5-1 and record. So he has really been able to excel in two starts in the month of August. He has actually been able to do a very good job allowing just two runs in those starts. So he has been at his best recently and on the road. Give it up five home runs in 46 and a third innings with opponents taking a 210 off of him. Opponents are a 303 off of him when he's in Cincinnati. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Muller. He's been able to make one long relief appearance and seven starts so far this year. He's been able to rein it in. Three runs or fewer. Give it up at each out of his last five starts. Hasn't necessarily given you a lot of length between four and five innings in each out of his last four starts, and he has given up at least two walks in every one of them. That's your big issue with him. He's given up right around four and a half walks per nine innings, but has also kept the ball in the yard, only given up one home run. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give because with the Reds going into yesterday, they had scored four runs or fewer in each other last two games after scoring four plus in 15 straight games. So you know that this is a team that's waiting to erupt because you've got Yojinho Suarez, Joey Votto, Jesse Winker, Nick Cassianos, all giving you at least 19 home runs. All these guys, aside from Suarez, who's hitting a Buck 73, hitting a 275 or greater, including Cassianos and Winker, both hitting above a 300. Kyle Farmer, along Jonathan India, a pair of guys in between about a 265-ish and a 275-ish, and with Jonathan India, a 400 on base, so he's been able to do a rock-solid job there. Even Taylor Naquin has been able to give you 13 home runs. Mike Moussakis is out on the fold. Only four home runs so far this year, but fewer than 100 at-bats. You've got Taylor Stevenson and Tucker Barnard at the catcher spot, also doing a good job. And then you take a look at the Atlanta Braves. Hitters 1 through 6 for the team yesterday, all with at least 16 home runs so far this year. It's absolutely amazing to see. Ore Soler is be able to give the team, along with his time in Kansas City, 10 home runs over the last 30 days. You've got Ozzie Albies hanging right around 255 with 18 home runs. Freddie Freeman, Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, Adam Duvall, all between 20 and 25 home runs. In the case of Riley and Freeman, both hitting right around 290 as well. And for the Braves, they've really picked it up with the bullpen. Over the last 30 days, top five with regards to bullpen ERA. Guys like Chris Martin, along with Richard Rodriguez, Edgar Santana, have all been able to lock in after a terrible start to the year. Josh Tomlin has been a little bit better as well. You take a look at what he wound up doing in the month of June. 0.96 ERA wound up slipping back in the month of July, but I think that him being able to give this team a little bit of something is going to be big along Tyler Madzik. He's been a little bit up and down, but has been at his best recently. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Reds. They have brought in Luis Sessa to be able to sure things up. Michael Gibbons has been able to do a solid job as well. Michael Lorenzen is someone that I also like, and they want up getting Lucas Sims off of the injured list as well. So I do think that these bullpens are going to be able to do a rock-solid job, and I have a little bit more faith here in Mr. Gutierrez. So going under along with the Reds. 961-962 on the betting board. The Slam Diego Padres at the Red Faceoff against the Arizona Diamondbacks. It to be determined on the betting board for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I am seeing Taylor Widener on ESPN.com and you, Darvish, going to be going for the Padres. Currently a game that is off the board, but if we wind up getting Mr. Widener versus Darvish, 
Going to be setting the Padres as right around a minus 230 favorite. We'll be willing to lay up to about a minus 150 on the run line with them as well. It said this all at 9.1, so a 9 or lower will be taking a look at the over. 9.5 or higher will be taking a look at the under. For Darvish, it has honestly been great for him, giving up four plus runs in four out of his last six starts. But you know what? He's got to get right spot here with the Arizona Diamondbacks. That yeah, they don't have a lot of great bats in their lineup. Everyone in the starting lineup yesterday has fewer than ten home runs. Just absolutely amazing. Now you do wind up getting back Ketel Marte of the Marte Parte, hitting a 3.55 for this bunch. Pavin Smith has been able to hit 2.70. Other than these two gentlemen, not a single guy in the starting lineup hitting a 2.50 or better. So it's really not been going great. You've got guys like Dalton Varsho, Josh Van Meter, Nick Ahmad, liabilities at the plate. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side for the San Diego Padres. Things did not wind up going well for them yesterday against the Miami Marlins. Ryan Weathers did not necessarily give the world's greatest start, but you do have a lot of guys that are able to do a good job of being able to get on base for this team. Will Myers, Trent Grisham, Manny Machado, along with Eric Cosmer. All between 340 and 360 on bases for Machado. North of 20 home runs since the beginning of the month of June. Hitting well above a 300 for this bunch. Awesome Kim has seen a couple at-bats ever since Fernando Tatis Jr. has been out of the fold. He certainly has not necessarily been able to do a great job at the plate, but Adam Frazier hitting a 320 for this team as well is very solid. And for the Padres, in terms of bullpen ERA, they are number one in the big leagues now. They had to dive into it quite a bit with Ryan Weathers being unable to get through five, but you still have guys like in Austin Adams who are able to do a rock solid job for the team. I do think that you're going to probably be seeing a nice little dosage here of like a Pierce Johnson. Maybe you wind up seeing Craig Salmon who wound up going a couple innings as a pseudo opener a few days ago. And then when it comes to the Arizona Diamondbacks, their bullpen has just been absolutely terrible. You've got Joe Manatipoli who's been able to give you a little bit of something. And then you've been able to have the ancient Tyler Clippard give you a couple good innings. But you're using converted starters like a Jake Ferry, a Matt Peacock to try to string this thing together. It's not going great. I will say for Mr. Widener, he has had a couple okay starts. His last start against the Padres on the road gave up two runs over the course of five innings. Problem was he wound up giving up a pair of home runs. And if you take a look at his last four starts, he has given up at least five runs in three of them. And he has given up a combined six home runs in those last four starts. He has also, in his last three starts, given up a combined ten walks. So, there is a lot of liability here. This is a guy that is giving up right around 2.1 home runs per nine innings. He's backed up by a terrible bullpen. So, setting the Padres as a very, very sizable favorite, like I said, at a 9 or lower, would be taking a look at the over 9 and a half higher, would be taking a look at the under 963, 964 on the bagging board. The Colorado Rockies sit the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants in my New York Post play of the day as Logan Webb is going to be going for the Antes. Hudamon Marquez is going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. 7.5 to 8 is your total. On the 8, under is minus 120, and the over is even. On the 7.5, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120, and the under is between even and minus 105. The New York Post play here is going to be the under. I wish I would have known that the San Francisco Giants would have been actually this low on the money line, anywhere between minus 154 and minus 160. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Colorado Rockies, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 144. This is a spot in which I want to make in the San Francisco Giants more in the neighborhood of about a minus 175-ish favorite, officially minus one. 177, so taking a look there, but I set this total at 6.9. How about how good Logan Webb has been in his last nine starts? The team is 8-1. He has given up two runs or fewer in every one of them. It has been absolutely sterling for him. He has been doing a great job of limiting the deep ball all year long, giving up right around .9 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine is hovering in the neighborhood of about a 2.7, and he's been even more dominant at home. Buck 85 ERA in seven appearances. 
the team is 7-0 whenever he pitches at home, by the way. Opponents are getting a 2-0-7 off of him in San Francisco. He has been dealing it for Irma Marquez. Throughout his career, he's got right around a 345 road ERA, a 4-6 ERA when he's at Coors, so he's always been at his best when he's away from Colorado. And he's been dealing himself. Two runs or fewer and give it up in three out of his last five starts. He's been able to do a better job on the road as well. On the road in his last four starts, he has given up two runs or fewer, and I believe all but one of them. And I think that that one outlier, he wound up giving up three runs. So he has been able to do a nice job of being able to lock in as well. Take a look at the Colorado Rockies. They've got the worst batting average on the road of any team out there in baseball. They hit right around a 280 at home. They hit more like a 212 on the road. You've got some just very demonstrative splits like a CJ Crone, who's right now got 18 home runs so far this year. 15 of them have wound up coming at home. Trevor Story sitting like a 255. A lot of that has come at home. Ryan McMahon, the same wave with him. Elias Diaz. He's a guy that's hitting a 225 overall for the year, but at home north of 250 batting average on the road south of the Mendoza line of a 200. If you got a Colorado Rockies team that, let's face it, bullpen has not necessarily been too terrific. Yancey Almonte is right around a 10 ERA. Carlos Estevez, he has not necessarily been good recently. Lucas Gilbreth has been up and down, but I do think that Marquez is going to be able to eat quite a few innings for this team. Meanwhile, you take a look at the San Francisco Giants bullpen. They're third in the league when it comes to ERA. First in fewest walks per nine innings allowed. You've been able to get some very good performances out of guys like Dominique Leon. Camilio Duval is returning for this team. You've got Jordan Garcia, Jose Alvarez, guys that have been able to do a very good job all year long for this team. And then with the San Francisco Giants, this is a very fearsome lineup of their own. I do like what you've been able to get out of Buster Posey all season long. And if you take a look at it, one through eight in the starting lineup yesterday, all between 13 and 19 home runs. You don't have that one guy that's going to go off and get you like 40 home runs so far this year, but you've at the same time got a bunch of guys that they just do a great job of being reach base. I think that you wound up having one guy in the starting lineup, by the way, aside from the pitcher, hanging below a 247. I mean, Wilmer Flores, Lamonte Wade, Brandon Belt, all these guys just do a rock solid job. Brandon Crawford has been hitting a 290 for the Seam Buster Posey, a 333. You bring in there Chris Bryant, he fits in very well. So I just take a look at the Giants. Well oiled machine. They're going to keep it going. Logan Webb is, in my opinion, perhaps the most undervalued pitcher out there for the San Francisco Giants and one of the most undervalued pitchers out there in the league. So if you're taking a look at the run line of the San Francisco Giants, I am currently finding that right around a plus 130 to a plus 135. I was willing to take this as long as. I was able to get pretty much even money. So I'm going to take that Giants run line. And like I said, New York Post play of the day, this total under. 965, 966 on the banking board. The Cleveland Indians are going to be playing off the Oakland A's. Chris Bassett is the Oak line and sinker on this game. Meanwhile, Eli Morgan is going to be going for the Cleveland Indians. 10 to 9.5 is your total. On the 9.5, over is minus 125, and the under is plus 105. On the 10, under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you're looking at the A's, anywhere between minus 157 and minus 160. Plus price here on Cleveland, anywhere between plus 140 and plus 148. For Eli Morgan, he's actually been able to give the Indians a couple good starts recently. And take a look at the bullpen that backs him up. James Karinczak has been falling on some tough times recently. Ever since the beginning of the month of July, his ERA has really shot up. But Emmanuel Classe, along with Brian Shaw, been able to do a good job. Nick Sandlin has right around 2-2 ERA. And for Mr. Eli Morgan, he's given up 12 runs in 44 and a third innings, only seven walks. It's not very often that you see a 
player, very nearly giving up double the amount of home runs as he does walks, but you take a look at the last few starts, he's given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five. One of those was on the road against the Oakland A's. He wound up giving up three runs over the course of five innings. Nothing great, but at the same time, not cataclysmically bad either. You take a look at Chris Bassett, though. This guy's been amazing. Giving up less than a home run per nine innings. Right around 2.2-ish walks per nine innings. You take a look at what he's doing on the road. 374 ERA compared to a 255 at home, but a sterling 7-0 record on decisions. He has allowed right around 1.1 home runs per nine innings when he's been on the road, but he also has been able to do a good job of being able to generate punch outs. Nearly 9.8 strikeouts per nine innings on the road. And then for the Oakland A's, a very good lineup in which lots of guys do a good job of being able to get on base. You've got Mark Hanna along Tony Kemp with north of a 360 on base for the same. Starling Marte of the Marte Parte is inning at 324, 11 on base, and then Matt Olson, 380 on base, 28 home runs entering into yesterday. And you just got balanced power in general with this team. You've got Ramon Laureano who needs to be replaced for the team. He was doing a rock solid job and was really a good fielder as well. But Matt Chapman, along with Mr. Ramon Laureano, Seth Brown, Mark Hanna, Jed Lowry, and Sean Murphy all have been able to give you between 11 and 14 home runs. And this is an Oakland A's bullpen that has been very good. Sergio Romo, ever since the beginning of the month of June, a sub-2 ERA after he got off to a very bad start. A.J. Puck has been called up to the big leagues. This is a guy with some electrifying stuff. I like what he's going to be able to bring to this team. Yes, Meadow Petit is someone that's able to do a wide variety of things for this team right around a 3 ERA. Jake Diekman has been able to do a solid job along with Andrew Chafin. So I do think that's going to be fascinating to see how they match up with the Cleveland Indians lineup because with the Indians, you do have a couple guys that are doing a solid job of getting on base for you. Jose Ramirez along with Bradley Zimmer. In between a 245 and a 255 for Jose Ramirez. He's been able to give you 25 home runs. Framiel Reyes is still giving you 20 home runs. He's getting a home run every 12 or so bats. He, Harold Ramirez, hitting between a 260 and a 270. And now you've got Amit Rosario hitting a 280 for the team. But you do have Andres Jimenez, Austin Edges, Owen Miller, Yu Chang, a lot of guys hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Oscar Mercado, Bobby B. Bradley. These guys have been a little bit up and down as well. So I do think that Bassett is going to come out. I do think that he's going to get dominate. I just fear the deep ball with Eli Morgan as well. This is a little bit of an all or nothing Oakland A's team. So I did want to say the Oakland A's as a sizable favorite along with a total of an 8.7. So I'm going to be looking at the under in this spot. I think that's a little bit disrespectful. Though we've got a total of 10 and a Chris Bassett start. And when it comes to the run line, this is what I'm going to be looking at with the Oakland A's, seeing that anywhere between a minus 105 to a minus 110 was willing to lay up to a minus 117 with laying a run and a half. So, going with the A's run line to go along with this total under. 967-968 on the begging board. The Detroit Tigres hit the road face-off against the Baltimore Orioles. John Means is going to be going for the Orioles. Matt Manning is going to be going for the Tigres. The Tigers are finding themselves as underdogs. You're going to be getting them anywhere between plus 115 and a plus 120. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Orioles, anywhere between minus 129 and minus 135, 11 is your total. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. Over is between minus 105 and plus 105. For Mr. Manning, he has not been able to adjust well to the major leagues. I don't know why he got called up so soon. He had an ERA of like an 8 at the AAA level, and it's showing. 633 ERA here at the professional level. He's given up only about 1.1 home runs per 9 innings, and his walks per 9 aren't ridiculous. Right around 2.7 walks per 9 innings. He's just given up a whole bunch of contact. You take a look at what opponents are doing to him. They're hitting overall 303, and that winds up ballooning to a 319 when he's on the road. He's given up 3 home runs in 22 and 2 thirds innings on the road, and his ERA a 9-1-3 compared to a 3-1-5 whenever he's out there in Detroit. Meanwhile, you take a look at John Means. He is a guy that's given up quite a bit of hard contact as well. This is a gentleman that, when it comes to home runs per nine, giving up right around 1.7. Also giving up only about 1.6 walks per nine innings. Opponents are going to get 2-0-3 off of him. It's actually been worse in Baltimore.
Baltimore. 450 only RA, Brody RA, but buck 98. A lot of that is because of the no hitter that he wound up throwing in Seattle, but still, he is going to be backed up by a relatively solid Baltimore Orioles lineup. And for the Detroit Tigers, ever since the beginning of the month of July, this has actually been a top five offense out there in the American League. You've got a trio of guys, Jonathan Scope, Robbie Grossman, along with Eric Haas, all giving you between 17 and 20 home runs so far this year. Miguel Cabrera is going for that elusive 500th home run. He is on his way there. You've got Hero Castro hitting at 280 for the team. Jameer Candelario, 360 on base, and he's hitting at 275. Then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles. Cedric Mullins along with Trey Boomo Mancini and the currently injured Ryan Mountcastle, all hitting between 18 and 20 home runs for the team. For Mullins, he's been able to hit a 320 overall. Austin this is kid, Mountcastle along with Mancini, only between a 245 and a 255 throw in there. Anthony Santander as well. Then you've got Roman Odias. He's been able to hit right around 275 for this bunch. You've got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up. A guy like Ryan McKenna. You've got Ore Mateo, DJ Stewart, Awesome Wins. Guys hitting at 220 or lower for the same for the Baltimore Orioles. Though the bullpen has been a hot mess. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. At the very least with the Detroit Tigers, a guy like an Ian Krall, Kyle Funkhaus, or Gregory Soto. These guys have been able to come in. They've been able to give you some good innings. Paul Fry was doing a relatively solid job, but ever since the beginning of the month of July, things have not been going well from in July. He wound up having a 279 ERA, but 591 ERA in June. And here in August, in five appearances, he's got a 2070 ERA. So certainly that has not been going great from Cole Solzer has been able to give you some good innings. Sanders Scott wound up coming off the injured list, so that's going to be a little bit beneficial, but this is really a play on John Means here. I do think that he's going to come out. He's going to be able to do a tremendous job for the Baltimore Orioles, which is why I wanted to send them in the spot more on a minus-150 favorite. I also want to make this total 9.1, so going to be diving under along with the Baltimore Orioles. 969-970 on the betting board. The Seattle Mariners are going to be playing against the Texas Rangers. Mike fulton is going to be going for the Rangers. Marco Gonzalez is going to be going for the Seattle Mariners. Charles game is 8.5 over Zanny Murphy. Minus 110, minus 115, unders anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Rangers, big plus price here. Anywhere between plus 165 and plus 173, finding the Seattle Mariners. Anywhere between minus 187 and minus 195. And for Mr. Fultonavich, he is right now leading the league in home runs allowed, and it's not even close. I believe that his buddy Jordan Lyles on the team is actually number two with that regard, but... For Mr. Fulton Avich, he has given up 31 home runs so far this year. 18 of them on the road. Overall, he's got right around a 5.77 ERA. The ERA balloons to a 7.56 when he's on the road. Opponents are a 2.90 off of him. 18 home runs on the road. That's 1.8 per start. Meanwhile, for Mr. Marco Gonzalez, two runs surrendered or fewer in each out of his last four starts. He has given up, I believe, a combined five runs in his last four starts, and his walks per nine has really shot up so far this year. He has given up right around 1.9 home runs and 3.1 walks per nine innings, which is not what he was able to do last year. Last year, more like one walk per nine innings, but he has really been able to lock in in his last few starts. In his last three, he has surrendered just four walks in his last three so that has been relatively solid, and he's backed up by a good bullpen. You take a look at Eric Swanson, wound up getting lit up in the last series against the Texas Rangers, but sub-2 ERA going into yesterday. Diego Cassio certainly has not been what he was with the Tampa Bay Rays ever since the trade deadline, but you've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Casey Sadler with a sub-2 ERA. Paul Seawald seems to be dipping a little bit, but he still has a sub-3 ERA as well. Then for the Texas Rangers, you've been able to get a little bit out of this bullpen. Spencer Penn has been able to do a good job of being able to hold things down, but you do have a guy in DeMarcus Evans who has not been 
able to do a lot for the team. Joe Barlow has actually been very good, but they wanted trading away Ian Kennedy as well. So guys like Josh Horbich and company are getting reps. And for the Texas Rangers, this is a team that's averaging more than a run per game fewer than any other team ever since the trade deadline and ever since the All-Star break. So it's not been going well for them. You do have one guy that has been able to excel in limited at-bats in Yoni Hernandez going into yesterday, hitting right around a 290. You've got a trio of guys in between, I would say, about a 249 and a 259 as Eric Falefa, along with Adolis Garcia and Nate Lowe. For Garcia, 25 home runs so far this year, but nine of them have come ever since the beginning of the month of June, so they were really front-loaded. Guys like Andy Ibanez, Jonah Heim, you're able to throw in there. Someone like a DJ Peters, Curtis Terry, Brock Holt, list goes on and on of guys hitting at 215 or lower. And for the Seattle Mariners, Abraham Toro, ever since he wound up getting traded from the Houston Astros, has given this team a trio of home runs, hitting above a 300. Mitch Haniger, 26 home runs going into yesterday, and Kyle Seeger, 25 of them, with Haniger hitting at 260. JP Crawford is hitting at 270. At Ty France, right around 360 on base now. You've got a lot of guys that they do need to pick it up with their batting average. Jake Fraley, Jake Bowers, along with Jared Kelnick, Cal Raleigh, Seeger, I was mentioning a little bit earlier. All these guys are hitting a 220. 25 or lower throwing their guys like Dylan Moore and Luis Torrens, but the Seattle Mariners are at the very least able to get quite a bit of something. This is just a situation of how many runs do you think Mr. Fultonavich is going to give up because with Fulte, he's had his ups and his downs going up against division teams so far this year, so this is a situation in which I am going to be taking a look at the Seattle Mariners run line because I set them as well north of a $2 favorite on the money line. If you're seeing the Mariners run line right now, it is anywhere between even money and seeing as good as a plus 105, I was willing to lay a price, so we're going to be taking that. Also, wind up saying the total at 8.6. I do think that the Mariners are going to be able to rip into Fultonavich, so we're going to be taking this total over and the run line of the Seattle Mariners. 971-972 on the begging board. The Tampa Bay Rays hit the road face off against the Boston Red Sox. Tanner Rook is going to be going for the Sox. Drew Rasmussen is going to be going for the Rays. Only place I'm seeing a line is DraftKings. Rays are minus 115 favorites. Boston Red Sox are minus 105. 10 is your total. Over is minus 120 and the under is even. I wound up saying the Rays actually as the underdog in this spot. Set the Red Sox as minus 127 favorites. 9.8 is my total. So a 10 like we've got right now. I'd be taking a look at the under. I would need a 9.5 or lower. DB starting to take a look at the over. With Hook, he has actually been able to do a tremendous job whenever he's got an opportunity to start. And for Drew Rasmussen, this is sort of like a pseudo-opener situation. I believe that he's made a start already so far this year, but not a guy that's really going to be going north of three innings for this team. So that is certainly something that is going to be hurting the Rays because even though guys like Lewis had Andrew Kittredge, they've been able to do their job. They've been without J.P. Eisen along with Pete Fairbanks. Quite a few critical bullpen pieces they wound up just very recently getting back Colin McHugh, someone who I do think is actually going to be able to give you some good innings. And you, you take a look at Rasmussen. He's one of the less than trustworthy relievers, in my opinion, for this team. Right around a four-ish ERA so far this year. Now, strikeouts per nine has been absolutely masterful. This is a guy that's given you right in the pocket of about 11 strikeouts per nine innings. Has given up only about a home run per nine innings, but also giving up right around four and a half walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, it took so far this year a 245 ERA. 0-2 record, but has allowed just one home run and seven walks across 25 and two-thirds innings. You look at him for his career, a buck 69 ERA last year and this year, and he has been able to do just a very good job of being effective, keeping the ball in the yard. He's backed up by a bullpen that, as we were talking about with Cody Decker, is regressing a little bit, but you're still able to get some good innings out of guys like Hedekazu Sadamota. I do like what you've been able to get all year long out of someone like an Adam Adovino. Matt Barnes is starting to regress a little bit, and then you take a look at the flip side for the Tampa Bay Rays. They are going to be using up all their bullpen pieces, and they wound up having Mr. Josh Fleming 
Fleming get lit up a little bit yesterday, so that puts them behind the eight ball with that regard, but you do take a look at this race team. You've got a quadrant of guys who have been able to give you at least 20 home runs so far this year. Mike Zanino, Brandon Lau, Austin Meadows, and Nelson Cruz with Meadows right around 240 batting average along with Wander Franco, but for Meadows, right around a 330 on base with Lau right around a 340 on base despite a 225 batting average. G-Man Joy along the NDS. pair of guys hitting between, I would say, about a 245 and a 255, but both of these guys have a 360 on base. Then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. J.D. Martinez is back in the fold. He's been able to give this team north of 20 home runs so far this year, hitting a 290. Rafael Devers going into yesterday was third in the league in RBI. He has been able to supply the boom with right around 28 home runs. He has been very good, and you've got quite a few guys hitting between, I would say, about a 245 to a 260. Christian Vasquez, you're able to throw in there. Jonathan Arus, Hunter Renfro, along with Kike Hernandez. And for Hunter Renfro, he's really been able to turn things around. 19 home runs entering into yesterday. So I do take a look at this spot. I did wind up saying the Boston Red Sox as a slight favorite. And if we wind up getting the 10 like I'm seeing right now, going to be taking a look at the under as well. 973, 974 on the banging board. The New York Yankees hit the road face off against the Chicago White Sox. Lance Lynn is going to be going for the Sox. Andrew Heaney is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves as underdogs. Anywhere between plus 145 and plus 152. Meanwhile, with the Sox, you're going to be getting them anywhere between minus 157 and minus 179. to 9.5 is your total on the 9 overs. Anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders between even and minus 105. On the 9.5, unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The overs anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. And for Andrew Heaney, ever since he wound up coming to the New York Yankees, he has been giving up a lot of home runs. In his first start against the Baltimore Orioles, he allows four home runs to... Let's face it, I do recognize that the Orioles have a couple matchers, but that is just absolutely awful. And overall for the year, this is a guy in Andrew Heaney that is allowing right around 1.9-ish home runs per nine innings. You take a look at what he's done home and road. He's got right around like a 5-plus ERA no matter where he's been. So the location has not really mattered to him. He's just been giving up a lot of hard contact. Now, we'll say strikeouts per nine is right around 11-ish, but you take a look at Lance Lynn as well. This is a guy that's been able to lock in. He's giving you right around 10 punch-outs per nine innings, giving up .8 home runs per nine. He in my opinion, should be one of the top front runners for the American League Cy Young Award. I do recognize that the White Sox wound up getting shut out yesterday, but you take a look at the ballpark dimensions in this one, and it is going to be similar to the old Kaminsky Field at the Fellow Poles. It's going to be out at right around 335 feet straightaway center, more like 400 feet. So this is going to be a ballpark that I don't think is necessarily going to be pitcher friendly, but I don't think it's going to be hitter friendly. I think that it's going to be relatively league average. You've got a team in the White Sox that you've been able to get Eli Jimenez going. Four home runs ever since Sunday, so he's been able to do his part. A pair of multi-home run games, that'll do it for you. Tim Anderson wanted missing the game yesterday, but he should be back in the fold for this one. He's had leadoff home runs in two out of the last three games that he's played in. You've got quite a few guys. They're in right around, I would say, about a 249 to a 262 for this team. Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, along with Adam Engel. And for Mr. Abreu, he's been with for 22 home runs. His 84 RBI entering into yesterday, that is second in the league, Cesar Hernandez. He's sitting just below a 249. 40, but he's been able to supply 20-plus home runs as well. Laurie Garcia has been able to give you some good at-bats as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the New York Yankees. Joey Gallo only hitting about a 220, but he, along with Aaron Judge, have both been able to give you 20-plus home runs overall the year, for the year, obviously, with Gallo. Most of those wound up coming as a Texas Ranger, but DJ LeMayu hitting a 270 for this team. You've got Luke Voigt back in the fold. He wound up having a home run in that series against the Royals, but got quite a few guys at the bottom that they just aren't necessarily good for the team. Kyle Gashioka, along with the other catcher that 
that they're trotting out there in Rob Brantley. Both of these guys hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. They've been utilizing Andrew Velasquez a little bit. He and Tyler Wade, they've not been able to give you much of anything along Jonathan Davis. All these guys hitting at 225 or lower, so it certainly has been a rough spot for the Yankees to say the least. They have been dealing with a couple guys being on the bullpen from the bullpen. You're currently without Aroldis Chapman. Zach Britton has not looked like himself since coming off of it. Brooks Krisky is someone that I don't have a lot of faith in along with Nick Nelson. Jolie Rodriguez currently has an ERA that's hovering right around a 5-5 in them for the White Sox. You've got Craig Kimbrell who's able to come out of the bullpen along with William Hendricks. Both of these guys have been rock solid. And then you take a look at Aaron Bummer. He has been a little bit of a bummer since coming off the injured list but has been able to give you some relatively solid innings as well. Michael Kopech has been able to give you multiple innings as well which is needed because it wound up being a little bit of a bullpen game yesterday for the Chicago White Sox but I think that the White Sox should be a very sizable favorite. When you take a look at the ballpark dimensions in this game I think that's going to be a little bit fascinating. I want to setting the solo at 8.4 as a result so I'm going to be taking a look at the under with the White Sox. I was willing to take pretty much anything even money or better when it came to a run line seeing it between a plus 110 and a plus 115. That's where I'm going to land on this one because he does give up a lot of bombs so taking a look at the under along the White Sox run line. We're going to things up with 975-976 on the winning board. The LA Angels are going to be playing OC Toronto Blue Jays. Jose Barrios going to be going for the Blue Jays. Meanwhile, Shoei Otani going to be on the bump for the Angels. Angels are finding themselves as underdogs. Anywhere between plus 113 and plus 120. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Jays, anywhere between minus 123 and minus 135. 8.5 to 9 is your total. 9.5 is what you're finding at DraftKings. The under is minus 150 and the over is plus 130. This is just a very strange and harebrained line there. You're seeing mostly 8.5s. With the over, it's anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105 for Otani. He has been able to do a much better job of not issuing as many walks recently, but I love the way that Jose Barrios has been a little bit more consistent home to road throughout the last two seasons, and overall this year has been terrific, giving up right around one home run per nine innings. His walks per nine is hovering in the neighborhood of about a 2.3, 323 ERA overall. He wanted dealing in his first start as a Toronto Blue Jay, giving up nothing in six innings against the Kansas City Royals. Follows that up by giving up just one run against the Boston Red Sox in six innings. So this is a guy that's really starting to lock in. Meanwhile, you take a look at Shoei Otani, and he's been able to do a relatively solid job as a pitcher as well. We all know what he's doing as a hitter. 37 home runs, although I will say there has been a little bit of a fall off there, but you take a look at how he's been able to pitch when he's been at home. Buck 79 ERA across nine starts. 4-0 record, giving up five home runs at 50 and a third innings. He's been able to do a good job of being able to limit the walks as well. Ever since the beginning of the month of July, giving up less than two walks per nine innings, so he has been good there. Now with the Angels, this is an offense that ever since the All-Star break, they're in the bottom three with regards to runs per game. It has been a little bit rough going for them, and I think a big reason why is because they're currently without Jared Walsh, guy that's been able to give you 20-plus home runs, him being out of the fold. That's hurt this team. you got a pair of guys in Phil Gosselin, along with Jose Iglesias hitting right around a 270 for the team. Shoei Otani, he himself, has only gotten one home run in the team's last 10 games, so he's been struggling, but David Fletcher is hitting above a 300. Got a couple guys like a Joe Adele and company that'll be able to do a nice job since coming up to the big leagues, but you need a little bit more out of someone like a Brandon Marsh. He's hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Adam Eaton has been a bust for the team. He's hitting about a 210 overall for the year, but you take a look at this Blue Jays team, and George Springer is back and in full force. This guy, ever since the beginning of the month of July, a double-digit 
amount of home runs. He's hitting about a 280. He has been masterful. How about Vlager Jr.? 35 home runs. He's hitting a 315. Teoscar Hernandez has been able to give you 17 bombs. He's hitting above 300. Marcus Simeon, 26 home runs. You've just got a whole bunch of guys that are coming together doing a terrific job. Randall Gritchick, 19 home runs. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, we were talking about it. Adam Simber being a good acquisition for this bullpen. You've got Brad Handu you're able to rely upon. Taylor Saucedo, prior to about two weeks ago, he had a sub-2 ERA. I think that he's going to be able to find it once again. Trevor Richards has been able to give you some good innings. Meanwhile, for the Angels, you've had Rossi Iglesias do a good job as a closer, but past that, who's going to get him the ball? Jose Quintana, Jose Quijada, these guys are not trustworthy. Pecky Naughton is a guy with like a 9 ERA. He's been terrible out of the bullpen. Awesome Warren, since coming up to the big leagues, has actually been halfway decent, but Aaron Sligers is having a bad year as well. I was willing to lay up to about a minus 130-ish here with the Toronto Blue Jays, so we're going to wind up taking a shot here. I do think that you're going to wind up getting a great start out of both of these guys, though, as well. So we're going to be diving under. I want to say my total at 7.7, so going under along with the Blue Jays. And that'll wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Thursday. A big thanks to Cody Decker, former MLB player, now doing a whole bunch of radio shows, doing a great job over there with Odyssey and so many other platforms. He joined me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, one of two ways we will for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast into that comment section. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.